I'm sure many of us have learned about the civil rights movement at some point during grade school. So I'd like to ask, who are the first three people that you think of when you think about the civil rights movement? Go ahead. I'll give you some time to think. If I had to guess, the people you probably named were Martin Luther King Jr., Malcolm X, and Rosa Parks. While these people were the quote-unquote face of the civil rights movement, there were so many others working behind the scenes. Hello, and welcome to Working Behind the Scenes. In this episode, I will be discussing the major impact that African American women had on the civil rights movement by critically analyzing five well-known events throughout the movement in chronological order. December 1, 1955, Rosa Parks was riding a segregated Montgomery bus home after a long day of work. The front half of the bus was the designated white section, and the back half of the bus was the designated colored section. At some point while Rosa Parks was still on the bus, a white man boarded, but all of the seats in the front of the bus were already taken. Then the bus driver asked the first row of seats in the colored section to get up, essentially adding another row to the white section. There were four seats and four people in that first row that were asked to move, but only three of them did. Consequently, Rosa Parks was arrested by two police officers because of her refusal to move. In her autobiography, Rosa Parks wrote, People always say that I didn't give up my seat because I was tired, but that isn't true. I was not tired physically. No, the only tired I was, was tired of giving in. To many, Parks' act of public refusal marks the beginning of the modern civil rights movement, which explains why she was given the title Mother of the Civil Rights Movement. With that being said, would you believe me if I told you that Rosa Parks was not the only, or even the first, African-American woman to refuse to give up her seat on a segregated bus? Have you ever heard the names Claudette Colvin or Mary Louise Smith? Until I began my research for this project, I didn't know who they were either. On March 2, 1955, nine months before Rosa Parks' arrest, Claudette Colvin, who was only 15 years old, was arrested for refusing to give up her seat on the bus. Also, in October 1955, two months before Rosa Parks' arrest, Mary Louise Smith was arrested for her refusal to give up her seat as well. She was only 18 years old. Both Colvin and Smith were part of the Supreme Court case Browder v. Gale that ended the Montgomery bus boycott. The Montgomery bus boycott was a civil rights protest in response to the arrest of Rosa Parks. This protest would go on to last 381 days, and on November 13, 1956, the Supreme Court ruled that bus segregation was unconstitutional. According to the online article, Rosa Parks, published by History.com, it reads, and I quote, The black population of Montgomery would boycott the buses on the day of Parks' trial, Monday, December 5th. By midnight, 35,000 flyers were being mimeographed to be sent home with black school children, informing their parents of the planned boycott, end quote. Even though all of the information in the quote is true, it doesn't give you the whole truth. Resources like this, including some textbooks, leave out the details, in, and in this case, it just so happens to be the vital contributions made by African-American women. For example, those 35,000 flyers were being mimeographed by Joanne Robinson. Joanne Robinson was a teacher in Montgomery, Alabama, who used her leadership in the Women's Political Council to focus their efforts on organizing and supporting the boycott. Another African-American woman that has not received much attention or credit for her contributions to the movement is Georgia Gilmore, 
She was fired from her job because she was uh, participating in the bus boycott. So Georgia Gilmore used her talents in cooking to help support the movement by opening up a restaurant in her home, which became a safe space for local civil rights leaders. Also, she single-handedly helped financially support the movement by forming the organization known as the Club from Nowhere, which consisted of African-American women cooking and selling cakes and pies to black and white customers, and all of the money went straight to the boycott. In May of 1961, a group of civil rights activists traveled throughout the South on scheduled buses for seven months to protest Jim Crow laws that enabled segregation in most, if not all, public spaces. The riders were specifically testing the 1960 decision by the Supreme Court in Boynton versus Virginia that declared the segregation of interstate transportation facilities unconstitutional. I would argue that most resources and textbooks, specifically our textbook, American Yop, in Chapter 27, Section 3, Paragraph 3, discussing this event, assert that the organizers of the rioters are the Congress of Racial Equality, better known as CORE, organization. While this is true, what is not mentioned is often that Diane Nash took over coordinating responsibilities for CORE after CORE abandoned their duties once the group was met with heavy violence, such as bombings and mob riots. Specifically, when the buses were burned and the activists were beaten on May 14, 1961, in Alabama, this forced the bus and those activists, known as the Freedom Riders, to retreat to New Orleans. At the 1961 National Catholic Conference for Interracial Justice in Detroit, Michigan, Diane Nash gave a speech. The following quote is from that speech. My own role was to stay my own role was to stay at the telephone to keep contact with Birmingham, to hear from the riders as often as they could call, to make arrangements ahead in Montgomery, to keep the Justice Department advised, in short, to coordinate. End quote. Diane Nash played a critical role in this event because her sole purpose was to protect those freedom riders and keep them safe along this trip. According to our textbook, American Yap, in Chapter 27, Section 3, Paragraph 6, in October of 1962, James Meredith became the first African-American student to enroll at the University of Mississippi. Again, while this is true and specific to the University of Mississippi, do you know the name of the individual that was the first African-American student to integrate in an elementary school in the South? Her name is Ruby Bridges and she was the first African-American student to integrate schools in Louisiana at the age of six in November 1960, which happens to be two years before James Meredith. On her first day, Ruby and her mother endured taunts and threats as they were escorted by U.S. Marshals when she approached Johnson Lockett Elementary in New Orleans. Only one white teacher was willing to teach Ruby, and she was the only child in her kindergarten class. Only... African-American child in her kindergarten class, but Ruby Bridges never missed a day of school. On August 28, 1963, roughly 250,000 people gathered in front of the Lincoln Memorial in Washington, D.C. to participate in a massive, peaceful protest, probably the most well-known event related to the Civil Rights Movement. This was the March on Washington. In our textbook, American Yap, in Chapter 
27, Section 3, Paragraph 10, it reads, and I quote, On the steps of the Lincoln Memorial, King delivered his famous I Have a Dream speech, an internationally renowned call for civil rights that raised the movement's profile to new heights and put unprecedented pressure on politicians to pass meaningful civil rights legislation, end quote. Equal parts interesting and shocking. The American Yop textbook does not mention anything about a tribute to women being made at the march, or even any mention of the only two women, Josephine Baker and Daisy Bates, that spoke in addition to Dr. King. Truth be told, I didn't know about either of those names until I did more in-depth research for this project. Pulling from my research, I want to state that Josephine Baker did in fact speak at the march on Washington right before Martin Luther King Jr. gave his famous I Have a Dream speech, and Daisy Bates also spoke during the Tribute to Women. Written by Davis W. Houck and David E. Dixon, the anthology Women and the Civil Rights Movement, 1994 to 1965, presents 39 full-text addresses by women who spoke out throughout the Civil Rights Movement. In the third paragraph of the anthology's introduction, titled Recovering Women's Voices from the Civil Rights Movement, it reads, and I quote, As recounted by Dorothy Height, president of the National Council of Negro Women, the women of the Civil Rights Movement had been thoroughly rebuffed in seeking at least one speaking opportunity for the women, end quote. Later, in that same paragraph, it talks about how a last-minute decision was made to make a tribute to women. The paragraph goes on to read, and I quote, After being refused the honor of marching with male movement leaders in triumphal procession, several women took their assigned places near the podium, end quote. The following page presents the quote-unquote tribute based on an archival recording of the event. I'm not going to read the recording, but I will give you the author's description of the tribute. On page two of the introduction, it reads, and I quote, The tribute to women was dreadful. It is even worse on tape. Randolph's halting delivery combined with a complete unawareness as to why the women were even assembled. Daisy Bates was not presenting awards to the women. Turned what should have been a token gesture of solidarity into a spontaneous display of sexism, end quote. And honestly, I couldn't agree more. Lastly, a quick fun fact I found from reading this introduction is that no woman was invited to meet and consult with the president immediately after the event, which is absolutely mind-boggling to me, and further emphasizes the underrepresentation and lack of appreciation felt by the hardworking African-American women throughout the movement. With that being said, I highly recommend taking a look at this anthology along with the numerous full-text addresses made by important women that never received credit for their tremendous work and contributions throughout the civil rights movement. As shown through my critical analysis of the chronological events, the impact that African-American women had on the civil rights movement is widespread yet largely unrecognized. Pulling from the previously mentioned anthology, female for participation far outnumbered male participation within the civil rights movement. Specifically on page XIV, which is the Roman numeral for number 14, it reads, and I quote, Maribel Manning, in his introduction to the autobiography of Medgar Evers, claims that women were the foundation of the movement's success. That foundation, he argues, was and is quantitative. Women are far more likely than males 
to emerge as the critical leaders in most working class and poor neighborhoods. Women activists are far more prevalent than males in the building of civic capacity, end quote. Similarly, field work and other research shows that in the 30 to 50-year-old range, women were typically three or four times as likely to be involved in the movement. Further emphasizing the impact that African-American women had on the civil rights movement, the journal article, Passing the Torch, African-American Women in the Civil Rights Movement, written by Laverne Gant, on page 640 reads, and I quote, These women were a source of inspiration and strength, not only for other African-American women, but for African-American men and children, as well as for whites. These were women and men whose homes were burned down, who lost their jobs, who saw what the future held or might hold if we took the chance and fought for it. Thus, women's roles in the civil rights movement were as wide and varied as their backgrounds. They were They were teachers, mothers, politicians, protectors, cooks, nurses, and spiritual advisors. Whatever the role, many African-American women were in the front line. Lastly, in the conclusion of the journal article, Invisible Southern Black Women Leaders in the Civil Rights Movement, The Triple Constraints of Gender, Race, and Class, written by Bernice McNair Barnett, highlights the variety and significance of the roles that African-American women performed within the movement. On page 177, it reads, and I quote, black women, and their, black women in their homes, churches, social clubs, organizations, and communities throughout the South performed valuable leadership roles during the modern civil rights movement in the United States. Although race, gender, and class constraints generally prohibited their being the recognized articulators, spokespersons, and media favorites, These women did perform a multiplicity of significant leadership roles, such as the initiation and organization of action, the formulation of tactics, and the provision of crucial resources, for example, money, communication channels, personnel, necessary to sustain the movement. Sisters in struggle, they were empowered through their activism, end quote. I wanted to specifically quote these three sources because they were the most helpful in allowing me to form a deeper understanding of the topic. Therefore, I was able to produce my analysis with more clarity. Additionally, these three sources were intriguing and engaging and ultimately made me feel more passionate about my topic than I was prior to my research. And since African-American women did not receive the credit that they so rightfully deserved back in August of 1963, Here is a real tribute to women, just to name a few. Angela Davis, Claudette Colvin, Coretta Scott King, Daisy Bates, Diane Nash, Dorothy Height, Elaine Brown, Ella Barker, Fannie Lou Hamer, Georgia Gilmore, Gwendolyn Zohara Simmons, Joanne Robinson, Joni Carr, Josephine Baker, Mary Louise Smith, Mary McLeod Bethune, McCree Harris, Rosie Parks, Ruby Bridges, Ruby D, Septima Poinsett Clark, Shirley Chrisholm, Shirley Sherrod, Thelma Glass, and many, many more. Thank you.